The following podcast may be explicit. Shedcast presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to the Dungeons & Dragons Starter Set and Review bonus episode. We'll make room for you at our gaming table as we take a look at the four parts of the D&D Starter Set and recount our favorite moments of the Lost Minds of Fandelver adventure. Enjoy the podcast. Hi and welcome to Adventures from the Shed. We're doing a special bonus episode here. We're going to take a few minutes and talk about how we felt about the Dungeons and Dragons starter set. We just finished part four of that set a little while ago during a long recording session. I'm Joe. I was a dungeon master for the Dungeons and Dragons starter set. And we are going to be snacking on some food while we record this. So excuse the crunches and the people who are talking with their mouth full like Mickey's about to. Hey. Hi everyone, I'm Mickey. I played Bree Greenbottle in this adventure, which was the rogue of the group. She was also a halfling rogue, and we found out very quickly that she had questionable um, morals, morals. <laughs> <laughs> and judgment. Um, so, hi everyone. Hi, uh, Ferris Dustbringer here. I played the erudite wizard, um, and it was it was definitely interesting. I like how they did the. Um, the magic, the way they did it. I like it. Um, passing it on over to Kurt Schumacher. All right. Hey, this is Kurt. I played Thor, Thor and Stormstriker, the Dwarven Cleric for the starter set. Have lots of thoughts about it, uh, but really, really enjoyed it. And I'm going to throw it over to uh, Sir Walter Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Robertson here. I played Sir Walter Moss uh, for this adventure. I'm ready to talk about it. A bonus. All right. So how we're going to do this, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a, a quick recap of what each of the parts were, and then we'll get uh, everyone's opinion, whoever wants to interject, what they liked about it, maybe cool things their character had done at the time. Uh, and we're going to start with what part one, uh, the title of that was Goblin Arrows. That was where everybody had met. The, the, the group got together. We learned who each character was reading the stuff from the starter sheets. Uh, the character sheets from the starter set got a little bit of a feel of what the characters' motivations were at the time. Uh, the characters got together. They were on a caravan to go to Fandolin. And on the way there, they saw uh, that uh, goblins had ambushed another party and tr- uh, defeated those goblins, headed down the goblin trail, found their hideout, and uh, defeated Clarg. Clarg! In that hideout. Uh, pretty pretty handily, mind you. Um, and that was the end of part one. Who remembers something fun about that? Although the funny thing is we recorded the first part of part one twice because <laughs> yes. I think we had some recording issues or, or some the levels were messed up. I take the blame and, for that. And in the first time we recorded it, we mopped the floors with the goblins. Like, they didn't last through one round. Yeah, I think it was like a turn and a half. And the second time we played, I think they downed two of us. Mm-hmm. And it took an hour. And it took forever. Yeah, it took an hour to do that. Um, so that was really cool. And I, I really liked Clark's um, personality in that. Like Joe actually added some, some personality that he had this dog and his, his little goblin helpers really didn't like him. <laughs> so it, it, it made that battle more interesting than a, a little boss battle might have been. Yeah. Yeah, the, the fate of the dice is interesting. Like, it's the randomness of the dice. I mean, like you said, the first time, I think we, it was 
one round and like maybe they, they got one extra attack on the next round. Uh, it, we whopped them up. And in, in that section, anyways, my, my favorite thing that I saw was uh, Mr. Animal Husbandry over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sir Walter Moss managed to, I don't know, T-bone uh, the dogs or... <laughs> Yeah. Whatever, whatever you did, he was able to do that crocodile Dundee. Uh-huh. He pacified them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just they, they, everyone was going, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like, "It says on the sheet that I have uh, plus one in animal handling, so <laughs> Might let's well give it a it. try." <laughs> so after that, we went on to what is part two in the adventure. I'll give you the quick recap of that. Part two was where we found Fandolin. The the title of part two is actually just Fandolin. So we found the city, uh, town, went into the town, and that's where we had discovered that we could use that old MMO quest log type of thing, where we had all the side quests and the main character story quests. Uh, we found different quests like uh, the Banshee's Bargain, Finding Cragmaw Castle, Orc Trouble, Finding Iarno, and essentially... This was the part of the story, or, or the part of the um, the adventure, where we got all the side quests and started meeting all of the NPCs, uh, and it ended with us confronting the Red Brands, going to the Red Brand hideout, and defeating them. Uh, that's where Glassstaff was. Who remembers some good stuff about that? I I liked the way it's set up, and this speaks to how the starter set I think is set up because at that part is where we found kind of like where the characters all inter. Uh, intersected, mm-hmm. if you will, which is nice because you're not forced into a group of people that you don't know. Everyone has kind of goals and they they intersect. So it makes it flow a little better. You mean like like uh, specifically like Bree was looking for Holly Thornton? Correct. And, everyone and was there was a along. reason to. Yep. And I also like the fact that there are options for all these little side quests. So if someone just buys a starter set, they can do all these little side adventures mm-hmm. and really get their money's worth in yeah. fact the the sided the um little side things for the characters was like the reason to talk to them like there was whole chains of side quests that we could have picked up had we like talked to everyone in town which we of course did not do but we were able to talk to like three or four different people and get different things to do and it, it, there was a lot of stuff we could have done if we would have spent more time in there too. Yeah, there's a lot of value when you think about the fact that this is a retail $19 product that you can get on Amazon now for 11 bucks. Uh, I mean, we played the heck out of it here and we were intentionally moving quickly through parts. I mean, there are whole side quests we did not even touch. If this was your home game, you you could have played this for months if you'd wanted to. Uh, so it's an incredible value. I really like the way it was structured too as a starter set because I felt like part one was really designed for a new player who had either never played before or hadn't been played in a long time. And while we did have a really hard time with the goblins, I don't think it was designed to play that way. I think we just had some yeah. crazy rolls. Like JJ said, the die rolls. It, yeah. It's so random. But that first part is, you know, it's l- relatively linear. It's clear where you need to go and it's increasing level of difficulty on the combat. Then part two, you go to essentially an open sandbox. Go where, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a world, but go wherever you want. Talk to whoever you want and then pick from that. And then towards the end, three and to a greater degree, four, you get into kind of a classic D&D dungeon crawl. Um, so I feel like in one, what I don't know what it is, 30-page adventure, they've given a real overview of kind of here's everything D&D has to offer in little snippets. You know, you can be diplomatic, you can be charismatic, you can have a ton of combat. Uh, 
you know, I just I, I like the variety in the starter set. Uh, my by far for me, my favorite part of uh, of part two, my favorite section was, can I shoot him in the leg? I want to shoot him in the knee. Let me shoot him in the knee. I'm going to shoot him in the knee. Uh, Bree hiding and, that was and confronting Bree. the red brands in front of the sleeping giant tap house after soundly whooping them. Uh, we had Greg as the prisoner uh-huh. and she shot him in the knee for fun. <laughs> and then wanted to finish him off. But Ferris said, no, Ferris said yeah. no, let him go. Mm-hmm. And was proven And then right. when we got to the hideout, he came, Greg came running back in. And I, the fate of the dice. Yeah. It, it's like sometimes like it was, the dice it was a tell crit, the, I think, right? the, the dice tell them stories. Not, not just a crit, sir. Not just a crit. <laughs> it was max damage on both rolls. Nice. And, and it really, it does. Like I, I, I truly believe sometimes the dice just tell the story themselves. Like I hate being proven wrong. Crit, max damage, 16 <laughs> right up the wazoo. Nice. Yeah, I thought uh, for myself, I kind of liked the way the Red Brand hideout was, was structured, that it was this old cellar underneath a big manor, and they kind of had things staged where, although you guys didn't necessarily have the quest to find the prisoners, the, the woman and her two kids, you did find them and you escorted them out. Um, the fighting the Nothic there, I liked the idea of when Greg, the, the, the Red Brand prisoner, uh, when he was being interrogated, he mentioned the eye monster, and that spawned the "Oh my gosh, we're going to find a beholder!" Oh my he gosh, oh my such gosh, oh my gosh! High hopes, right? And it turned out to be the Nothic, and that well, that monster itself was kind of a letdown. He should have been able to to beat you guys a little bit, but um, yeah, it was interesting to me the way they had that set up. Yeah, I think if I were listening, uh, some of the fights that should have been huge fights were incredibly easy in mm-hmm. this, yeah. and I think. Um, again, it's just the roll of the dice, but I mean, we had some fights like Last Half that should have been a bigger fight than it was, or um, some of the stuff in Part 4 um, mm-hmm. that we dispatched fairly easily, but you know, that's the way it goes. So, But it, was it all dice rolling, or is it the way these characters are set up? I, I think mean, a lot of got... it was, and I, I want to I mention that too. We had just talked about this in between finishing up Part 4 and recording this. Um, we had talked a little bit about how that system, the way the system is set up, the characters essentially have a high enough armor class to start that it makes the monsters in the starter set hard. Uh, it makes it harder for them to hit. So almost all of the monsters we had here had a plus four or plus five to hit. And with characters having armor classes 14 plus, that means a 10 would only hit two of the characters. And then the other two having an 18 armor class or 17, depending on where we started, that meant I'm rolling a 13 or 14 just to hit somebody, which is a lot more than the characters had to roll. The highest armor class on most of the bad guys was the bugbears. If they had their shield, they had a 16. So they couldn't compete. Most of the bad guys had a 12 to 14 armor class, which is only as good as the worst armor class of the characters. Now, with that being said, though, like um, the characters who had the highest armor class were proportionally the characters who got hit the most. Yeah. So you have to give them that high armor class Ooh. to offset the fact that they're going to be taking approximately 80% of the hits. And I would say, to my recollection, it was either Thor or Moss that was on the ground most often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the only right. time it, you know, I got on the ground because when I had my dumbass decided to run up and cast Burning Hands. <laughs> if I were balancing it, I would have 
taken down like the bugbears and maybe the hobgoblins a little bit and upped the bosses a little bit mm-hmm. just in terms of excitement. I felt like we spent a lot of time like on the four spiders and oh, then the drow, you know, black spider himself was very easy. And I felt like that happened several times, but that's a minor quibble. I mean, now I see if it was it. me playing D and D normally, I would roll behind a screen right. and I would have made things a little more tense right. as it were. As, as we played it though, every one of my roles was out in the open. And for that matter, the hit points of the monsters were out in the open, and the people sitting closer knew when they were about to die. Um, but uh, let's move on to uh, part three. Part three of the adventure was called The Spider's Web, and this is where you get farther into knowing who the black spider is, which essentially we kind of did, but kind of didn't. Uh, pretty much figured out it was a draw. We thought that's who it was at the end. But uh, part three for us was going and talking to the, um, uh, the Banshee, and finding out where Cragmaw Castle was. We also went to the uh, Old Owl Well to, uh, to meet the necromancer there with his zombies, who also led us to Wyvern Tor, where uh, we finished off the goblins. Uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not goblins, orcs there. And then ended at Cragmaw Castle, getting through there and rescuing uh, Gundren. And that was the end of three. One thing I want to point out, uh, I remember, and it seems some of my favorite moments are the, the Bree moments, but I remember outside <laughs> of Wyvern Tor, outside of that cave, she did that one shot, one kill mm-hmm. on the scout outside, which allowed you guys to get up there for a surprise round. And, and one of the reasons that that turned out to be pretty cool was there was a description for it right in the book. If the outside guard can be taken out silently, then the characters get an advantage. And I thought that was pretty cool that it worked exactly that way. <laughs> Who else had good memories from part three? Um, I uh, kind of float my own boat here, but the uh, shock and awe. I oh, teleported yeah. it up. Step. I teleported yeah. up and just blew them up. That was really good. All right. I, I, I keep thinking of that as that scenario or, or that instance as one of those cartoon things where in the cartoon a fire blast hits and you see the outline of the guy on the scorched wall <laughs> i'm thinking you know ferris popped into this room this guard tower blasted burning hands and now there's two goblin outlines on the wall yeah. i think part three was where i gave up on healing and just kicked a bunch of butt and had like eight or nine kills which yeah. the cleric was awesome that was my favorite where when you were like all of a sudden you gave up totally on healing and then, like, you went down, and all of a sudden it was like, Oh, Mothmar doing? Please rescue me from the life eight. <laughs> yeah. The, well, it's interesting. I didn't have to do a lot of healing because the boss, the big guys weren't getting the really horrible hits on us. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there were definitely times where some of us went down, and I think it was maybe, maybe it was the goblins in part one that was yes. pretty desperate. But there, there, we did not have a huge sense of urgency for, like, we're truly going to die mm-hmm. at many points in the... Yeah, well, I, see, thought, I thought it was interesting. Just, the- to, just to that note, I think maybe, and I'm just thinking this now, maybe our expectations later for danger were set early on when goblins were, were essentially killing you guys, mm-hmm. but the saving throws stopped well, the death, right? And it's interesting, sorry, but um, I know the... Not a criticism, but a comment about 5th edition D&D generally is that first characters are very squishy. And that second level, you're, you can survive. And then third level is where things get really good and you get a lot of powers, which I think we all saw. Third level is a big jump up. But first level, not just in the starter set, but in the everything, you know, it's it, pretty squishy characters. Um, the, all the fights that were really hairy had an environmental factor. Um, so if you think back to Clark, 
mm-hmm. we are only had two people up there. And then when I got <laughs> because up, because the most dangerous person couldn't get up the, 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 most, the, yeah. the yes. DPS couldn't climb the damn wall. <laughs> and you know, so we had. It's just all the all the fights that got really really hairy were all the ones that had some kind of outside environmental factor shaping the battlefield. Mm. To the advantage of the monsters, because the player characters are always going to have an advantage, because the player characters, as a general rule, are going to focus one monster at a time, take it down, take it down, take it down, and then eventually the numbers, like, I mean, I, so many times I've seen fights where, beginning, like, when I'm, when I'm DMing, and people are like, oh my god, how are you going to survive this? You're a butthole for making us do this, and then... All of a sudden, the tide changes. You can see the hope in everyone's faces when they're going to. They know. They know yeah. that the end and goal. You know. Mm. Yeah. But all the fights that were really hairy all had an environmental factor outside of it. So is that so interesting, interesting that that's what turned the tide for for the monsters? I mean, the fact that it had to be an outside influence to make it hairy. Like my point is, I mean, it's good. I'm not knocking the game at all. Um, I'm just wondering if maybe it could be a little more balanced. Well, the that that's the campaign design. Mm-hmm. They didn't give you like you kept checking for traps. Yeah. How many times were there traps? Never. I never exactly. Went across so. And there's another thing too that I have seen in published adventures before that they don't really address in this, and I think it may be because it would put too much on a starting GM, but. A lot of pre-published adventures and in the rule books, it'll tell you that if something's going too easy for the characters, up the challenge rating, add another monster, do something like that. The starter set doesn't do that. So, uh, And also consider that this could have five characters in it. There wouldn't have been a change in monsters. There isn't an addition for more characters or subtraction for, for less. So I think in that way, um, it's probably a good start because... As it was, people had to be saved from the brink of death multiple times Mm -hmm. over this adventure. So from levels one to four, everybody had a chance of dying. I think Mm -hmm. everybody was out at least once. Yes. All right. So in that respect, I think it was at least adequately dangerous. Yeah, yeah. But I felt like those big fights, there wasn't a lot of tension. You're right. You're right. But if you also think about it in terms of the scope of the world, like I had a ton of fun with this adventure – but this is not an epic encounter in the scale of things. This is a little frontier right. town with a little mission that was important to the local folks. But, I mean, is this even on the radar in Neverwinter or farther up the you coast? You guys will be remembered fondly at this uh, section of the we, Sword Coast. We will, but what, one of the things I liked about it was there were seeds planted for this is a much bigger world. Yeah. Um, and there are more adventures to come. And there were explicit seeds, which you've mentioned to us, like the map in part mm-hmm. four. But there are also – I went back and read the parts after we finished in the adventure. And like in part two where you go and meet the different people, they actually say things like, you know, the guy who owned the orchard, um, he's drawn to people who want to support good and order. And so if you do his mission and then come back, he might enjoy invite one of the party members to join his yeah, brotherhood. Yeah, because he's part of a group. Yeah, they uh, all, and so yeah. that happens on three or four different times. And I don't know if that ties into the – I can't remember if they're calling them factions or what they're calling them in – D&D encounters, but there they're are groups. If those are those groups or something different, but there's this sense that there's this world beyond there, so this is just the first step. And, and as part of that step... I mean, in in part three specifically, mm-hmm. at the, when we got to the Cragmall Castle, like, I like the challenge, but I also like... we. I got this feeling when we hit there that we hit Cragmall Castle like a well-oiled machine. Oh, yeah. And, like, we, like, would hit 
room to room and yeah. like and it it was like it had that good feeling that we like it should that we'd been adventuring for a little bit and yep. now we were going to clean house and we got in here and yeah. and we even blocked the the uh bugbear thing from killing oh yeah yep. him yeah him several mm-hmm. times and we that stopped was, the doppelganger from running away and got him yeah it so we were like seal team six coming yeah, in we like, were. clear 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 yeah, clear. yeah we were. yeah we're like clear one room at a time and yeah. it was really nice I agree. That was pretty cool. It was the, especially the beginning when we talked about where, where Ferris kind of teleported in, blasted the goblins. And then, so like the beginning of it to me was like Ferris and his supporting cast. And uh, <laughs> so he had blasted those goblins and then blasted some more and then put his flaming sphere in the doorway and well, was burning I iced them the up. door first just to I make sure it wouldn't get door, opened. Right. Was it so part- he had all of these spectacular things and everyone else was just mopping the floor behind him, right? I think uh, it was part three while Ferris was doing that that my spiritual weapon missed six times in a row. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Right. First time I ever cast that, and it missed right. six in a so row. So there's this, there's this hobgoblin here with half a hit point left. I swing at him. You miss. I swing at him. You miss. <laughs> and then his bit, uh, you know, Thor's big weapon was the guiding bolt, and he yeah. never it's, landed yeah. it. I think he never landed it. The guiding miss. bolt at first level is like 4d6 or 4d, I think That's it's nice. 4d6 damage. And it's uh, cast it as a second level. It's five d six damage, and but it has I, to hit. Never, I always missed it's it. It's a good thing you didn't need all those d sixes. You only have one. I mean, good point. So that brought us to to four after saving Gundren at the end of three from the Cragmaw Castle. Uh, part four is called Wave Echo Cave, and Gundren had his map. Uh, showed you guys how to get there. Thank you for bringing him back to Fandolin, and you are off on your way to the Wave Echo Cave. And to me, part four is just 100% Dungeons and Dragons yes. dungeon crawl. It is everything that you think of when you just get together and you go through a dungeon. Now, we did, uh, for the sake of expediency, we only went through the parts that we needed to, and we did not do the whole completionist attitude of getting every square inch of the map finished. Uh, because of that, we missed a couple of things. However, I kind of like the balance of it, the, the way it worked out. Um, and we did get all the way through, found the Black Spider, defeated him, and brought peace and prosperity to Fandolin mm-hmm. and the Wave Echo Cave. And we just recorded most of this one today. Actually, all of it, for that all matter. Of it today. What do you guys think? How did that one end up? I love the old school dungeon yeah. crawls. Like, uh, some people, that they'd rather be out in the world. I love just plowing I could have played that probably for another two and cleared out the whole thing. Agreed. That but uh, it was, I liked it. And at the oh, end part. Hard to see the flame skull. Yeah. At the end part with um, the the doppelganger, I definitely, I should have seen it coming, but I definitely did not that see was it a coming. Nice twist. And that was a nice twist. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't that. see it coming until he barreled into me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's not Nundro. Nice. No, that was see, my favorite That's part. the kind of thing I would have done, and I was so happy they wrote it into it. Because that way other people can play something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, since since he escaped you guys from Area 18, he went in and pretended to be the, the dwarf, who was actually locked up in the next room. And the whole point is, if he can't get you guys to surrender, then he's going to pretend to surrender and then get you at your most vulnerable moment. Which is breaking out of a web right in front of him and his ally, and boom. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pushed up on time on that last episode. The way it's written, when you finish their... I mean, is that the end, or do they expect you to go back into Fandolin and talk to everyone? Or I mean, I'm just curious. Now it's you're done. That's that's when the training wheels come off, huh? Training that's when the DM off. has to start ad libbing. I'm, I'm chewing while Kurt's asking me a question. Yeah. Um, what it really says is, 
now that you've cleared that, that's a safe area for you if you want to explore the rest. And then you go back to Fandolin and you're the heroes. Gotcha. So other than just kind of going out through some of the other rooms, we didn't miss anything at the end? Or nothing happens in town special other than that's, being that, that's correct. You didn't miss anything. They throw a little parade. They it's throw a little parade. parade because it's a little, it's a little town. Yeah, it's very <laughs> little. I'm a little dwarf. It's There's like, like <laughs> two blocks. <laughs> yeah, a little dwarf, yeah. a little halfling. You've got a little halfling. It's all good. Yeah. And, there, and there's a guy selling cotton candy. That's uh-huh. it. Nothing else. Uh-huh. You get nothing. Um, I'd have to say, I thought this was a... I mean, there were things that we would tweak about it, but for a starter set, which you have to think of as a beginner box, <laughs> it's the exactly. of a beginner box. I thought this was a great adventure, great yeah. adventure. And to be honest, I mean, I, I, I'm reading Horde of the Dragon Queen. I told you guys on one of the breaks, which is kind of the big, the first part of the big year-long adventure that Encounters is doing. And my inclination is, I would actually much rather play this starter set with a group of players than I would that. I just think this is a more interesting, more variety. Uh, and a better introduction to D&D. Mm-hmm. So let's take a few minutes and talk about how we felt on the starter set as a whole. Like Kurt just said, I'll mention I've had a lot of criticisms and a few praises throughout. Um, what I would mention from the DM side, I really like the way they set it up as far as the DM learning through each part to take a little more responsibility, a little more work. Um, and by the end of it, you're running it as a regular D&D session where you're assigning experience based on the monsters that were killed or any special thing that happens. But in part one, you finish all of part one and get a lump of experience at the end. So they didn't really split it up. So in that way, it progressed good. Um, I had some critiques about their layouts of the dungeons and the NPCs. But in essence, everything you need is in the book. I didn't really have to make anything up. Uh, as... As me, uh, there were plenty of spots where I wanted to say, it's not in the book, but I want to let you do it anyway. Whereas a starter DM could just say, it's not in the book, let's do something different. Huh. Right? You don't have to make it up like I do. You can just play what's in the book. If your only chance of opening the chest is a DC 20 roll with thieves tools, then that's it. And when you guys said, let's just bust it open, I'd said, well, in the book, they don't have that option. There isn't a DC or how much damage or what its armor class is, so you can't. And that's the way a starter DM could play it without having to make stuff up. Hmm. Right. I, I think my favorite part of this whole thing is the way we level up. Because I remember when I first, and again, speaking as a mod, uh, novice player, I remember starting um, with 4th uh, edition. And leveling up was always very difficult for me. Because you gained all these new powers, and now I had new cards that I had to remember and all this stuff. I like this system of leveling up better. And I, I, I was still reminding you. Yeah, I know you were stuff. reminding. You always remind. But I remind me. everybody. <laughs> I, I play everyone's class. It's my foible. Um, but as far like, I mean, I'm kind of like harping on our broken cord here, but we really do like. I, it's it's a great starter set. I I can't fault it for, at all because the only thing I would include in this, the only thing I would like for it, is more environmental factors. Like I said before, uh, you know, there's just there was little to no traps. I think there was one pit trap outside the Goblin's King in the first section. Yep. Um, and, and there was a hallway trap somewhere. There's a true. Long hallway. You're right. There, but, there was that trap there. Um, but you know, there, there's you know, there was a couple secret doors. I like yep. that. Um, but like some of the stuff, like it just it felt like we could have gone a little bit more. Although just a little bit more, just a little bit something extra, like, you know, 
if we had SEAL Team 6, the yeah. chapel boy, like, cl- you know, scaled the wall, coming through an attic or something, and, you know, cleared down, you know, like, rewarding creativity mm-hmm. is what I'm, I guess what I'm saying. is I, I like the idea of rewarding creativity. And that's something I try to do, but as it is written, it right. gives you its clear indications of what can be done, but does not, at any point that I can see, it does not encourage you to try different things right although they they have that point thing that we they the this is true advanced inspiration points which yeah. i guess but that, if you wanted you could have thrown that out it, it is but taking it literally um in the book itself the role playing and inspiration which is on page four it says it's because it, you, that the gm the dm should award it when players play to their character's personality traits and that's when it happens so Not Bri- necessarily Bri being creative. She collapsed the entire cavern. <laughs> That's on a good us. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a few mechanics that will be fun if you were running your own game. Inspiration yeah. points would be fun. Advantage disadvantage, I think, can be used a lot more. Yep. You know, we're we're looking at it very mechanically. Like, I get advantage on this role, but I think the player's handbook says, you know, the D- if the DM gets in a situation where he thinks the players would have advantage yep. because they have higher ground or whatever, he lets them roll advantage or. If he thinks that they would have a hard time for any reason, they can roll disadvantage. And that's, a, that's an important thing to note that the set does not say that. Right. However, that kind of thing is in the beginning of every Dungeon Master Guide they put out. It's probably in the beginning of the Player's Handbook, the printed one for, for this edition. But it, it's just not encouraged right. here. And again, I kind of agree with not putting that in. So the DM is not overwhelmed with how many cool ideas can I come up with and break the adventure. I yeah, think, training wheels are good. Yeah, I think two improvements in this edition or changes or simplifications that are, I don't want to say more casual fans, but people like me will appreciate. I think advantage-disadvantage is so much easier yes. than what I know of as the Pathfinder mechanics. It's probably the fourth edition mechanics. of Gosh, Fourth edition, all the condition modifiers oh, is condition really modifiers. what advantage I'm, takes over. It really t- That took a lot of the fun out of that for me is having to add four numbers to your role. I just love advantage-disadvantage mechanism. I think it's got a lot of potential. And I love um, what to me seems like a simplification of magic use. It's very intuitive. You get certain spells. If you want them to be more powerful, you cast them using a higher-level spell slot. And you know exactly how many of those you have. And it's to me, it's a very easy and uh, intuitive way to, cat, to, to be a uh, magic user. That's a good point. Like, I've always shied away from magic characters because I've been intimidated with how in 4th edition you had to do magic. I think I would be more inclined to play a magic here. It's really very easy in the sense that, you know, I, I have a spreadsheet that I have made as my spell book. And if you look, I literally put up it because I'm, you guys know I don't remember the details well. <laughs> I literally, on my spell page, have every spell. I decide which ones I... Yellow is always prepared. Blue is I chose to prepare it for this day. But then up at the top, I have a box for my level one spell boxes and my level two. And I just put an X in when I've used the box. Yeah, so what he's saying is magic is so easy, you just need a laptop and and boom, you got it. (laughs) But I mean, it's, you know... Magic is... I I like it. It's definitely simplified. It is much more complicated than that, like... If you're intimidated by 4th edition, 3.5... I never would have played a magic character. I don't think you would have... I don't think... uh, I mean, Pathfinder is basically that, and I looked at the magic users, and I was like, ah, I I can't handle this right now. Mm -hmm. All right, we're getting ready to wrap this one up here at just over half an hour. Um, uh, A general, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thought. I Personally, I think we we all kind of agree it's a really good set. 
Um, as far as getting people into uh, role-playing games, is it a good set? Yes. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think we all agree with that. And beyond it, Wizards, who has gotten a lot of criticism for a lot of things justifiably over the last 10 years, has put out what we th- I think are agreeing is a good starter set. Yes. They put out a great player's handbook and what is universally being considered the best monster manual they've ever put out. Very good. So the beginning of 5th edition is really strong. Mm-hmm. And I would say, with the exception of what we, uh, I just picked on Kurt for, having a laptop, for his own reference, mind you, um, everybody else is using what came with the set. We're yeah. using character, character sheets, sheets, blank pieces of paper, pencils, and dice. That's there it. is nothing extra needed to play this, which no. I think is a very useful uh, thing to know. Um, Buy that starter set on Amazon at the 11 bucks, or go pay 20 at your local gaming store, whatever it may be. Support your local stores. Support your local stores, definitely. And um, I think it's a really great way to start. Anyone uh, want to add anything else before we go? I, I want to ask everyone, overall, on a scale of 1 to 10, what was your enjoyment level throughout the entire thing? Were there parts where you were just bored out of your mind? Were there parts where you're just like, you know, I, I would give it an eight overall. I would give it a nine. Mike? Uh, seven. It, it's a little mathy at times. Um, mathy. And that's not a problem, but it, it's... Like compared to like Dungeon World, Dungeon World has no map. <laughs> you gotten spoiled with that. I, so have I. I. Got spoiled. Yeah. So uh, I. It's probably better, but than a seven. But I, I would probably give it a seven. Kurt, intellectually, I would give it an eight. In terms of how much I was enjoying it and wanting to play it again, I would give it a nine. Very good. I, I would give it somewhere between eight and nine myself as well. Um, so I think yeah, overall we agree this is well above average for a release to get into tabletop role playing games. I think that's going to wrap it up for this bonus uh, podcast for the Dungeons & Dragons starter set. Remember to find us on iTunes. Hopefully you got this from iTunes, and we've got a five-star rating by now. And I would encourage you to rate us, leave comments, visit us at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Send us messages. Google community. Send us messages. Mickey likes messages. I do. I love messages. She likes beaver pelts. I love beaver pelts. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to bonus penis better. That's going to wrap it up for this session. Everybody say penis. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. You've heard our review of the play sessions for the D&D Starter Set. Now let your thoughts be known. Join us on our website at adventuresfromtheshed.com and comment in our Google community. A big thanks again to the AFTS cast and a special thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us. The preceding podcast was brought to you by Shedcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.